growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If you have a bad job, I'm sorry. I, 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 I genuinely mean that. I really am. But you don't work for XYZ company. Not in the whole scheme of things. You work in a family business. You work for your heavenly Father. Have you ever had a job you just couldn't stand? Have you ever had a boss that mistreated you? As followers of Jesus, when we find ourselves in a difficult work situation, how should we respond? Uh, Father, I'm clocking in today. Thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given me to honor you with my service to this company. I want to do the very best I can for you, Lord God. So help me to be mindful of your presence. Help me to work within your power. Help me to make your name famous because you see in the end, no matter what you may do, our real job description is God glorified. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today, as we continue in our series entitled Colossians, it's all about him. We come to the end of chapter three of the book of Colossians and we find the writer of the book, the Apostle Paul, giving instructions to slaves and masters in their conduct toward one another. As you're going to hear Pastor Clay explain in today's message, that doesn't mean he was condoning slavery. But what Paul has to say is great application for us today in the workplace. You may love your job or you may not. But as we'll learn today, God's expectations for us in the workplace are clear. Now, here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be beginning uh, this morning in uh, verse 22 and going through chapter 4 and verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, let's talk about this a little bit, Um, beginning in verse 22. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven." Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, through chapter 4, verse 1, which I think kind of belongs there because it's kind of winding up this, this, uh, this subject matter that Paul is talking about. And I want to deal first this morning with this idea about um, slavery. Uh, some critics of the Bible have said that uh, because Paul says here, Uh, slaves obey your earthly masters that the apostle Paul and the Bible in general is condoning slavery. Is that the case? Is Paul and the Bible saying that that slavery is okay? I think we need to address that question first before we go on into its application for our lives. Well, the short answer is no, absolutely not. 
The Apostle Paul, nor the Bible in general, in no way uh, accepts, condones, endorses, promotes slavery. Absolutely not. Uh, Some of you may not even be aware of this, but uh, let me walk through some of these reasons, or let me explain to you why. Uh, because you may occasionally run and say, oh, I don't even know how you can follow that Bible stuff. Do you know that they, they say slavery is okay right there? It says, slaves, obey your masters. Let me walk through a few things with you first. This is something you need to remember. Slavery in biblical times was not necessarily, was not necessarily the same as the slavery that we think of today. Now, that kind of slavery did go on, but you can't automatically, when you see slavery in the Bible, you can't automatically assume that it that it means what we tend to think of when we hear the word slavery, which is we tend to think of uh, a person who, because of their nationality or because of their skin color, is taken by force from their home, from their country, from their wherever, and, and forced into uh, service, sold into service. That is what the Bible refers to as man-stealing. That's the phrase that the Bible uses. The Bible refers to it as man-stealing, and you may not have even realized this, but the Bible comes down pretty hard on that. Look at this in Exodus chapter 21, verse 16. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So clearly, the idea of slavery as we think of it, man-stealing or person-stealing, was an abomin- and is an abomination to God, and he in no way approves of it, and the penalty for it was quite severe in Levitical law. Also, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, in 1 Timothy 1, throws slave traders in with a whole group of immorality when he says in First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. He's talking about people in, in, that are, it, that's their perpetual, that's their lifestyle. And for, what's this? And for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So clearly the Apostle Paul doesn't think much of slave traders. Also, Paul, uh, in 1 Corinthians, um, tells uh, those who are slaves that if they have an opportunity to, to be free, they should take that opportunity. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, were you called while a slave? It should not be a concern to you. We'll kind of deal with this in a minute. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. As we've, been, we've been set free in Christ positionally. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. We've given our life to him. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, uh, clearly that God was not, is not big on man-stealing or person-stealing. Clearly condemns it. Now, that type of slavery did go on in ancient times. That's why the Bible deals with it. That's why the Bible condemns it. It did go on in ancient times. But also in ancient or in biblical times, people would choose to place themselves into slavery or servanthood or indentureship at times, usually to pay off some debts that they owed. 
As a matter of fact, uh, there's a place somewhere in, in the Old Testament where there's actually a ceremony that a person, if they decide, you know what, this person treats me well, they take care of me, I've got food on my table, I, and for my family, I've got a great place to eat. I, I, I want to enter into indentureship with them. I want to be their servant for the rest of my life. There was actually a ceremony where they, they took an awe and they drilled a hole in their ear and they, they put an earring in their ear and it showed that, that they had given themselves to this, this other person. So, so there, in, in biblical times, some people by choice chose to enter into uh, a, uh, an arrangement like that, a situation that was usually for a period of time. And as I said, it was usually to uh, pay off some debts and things like that. So not everything, when you, when you hear the word slavery in Scripture, you've got to remember that it's not necessarily always referring to the type of slavery that we tend to think of. Second, uh, remember this. Christianity had no political power or influence to change anything at that time. In the first, this is the first century A.D., Christianity had no political power or influence to change anything at that time, and slavery was simply a part of the fabric of the Roman society. It's estimated that as much as one-third of the entire Roman Empire were slaves. Millions and millions and millions of people. Christianity was a fledgling, fringe religion as far as the Roman Empire was concerned. And at that time, in pure political power, it had, it had none. Third... Anywhere that Christianity has been the predominant influence in a culture or society, slavery has been abolished. Now, it sometimes takes some time because of the hardness of people's hearts, because of the hardness of man's heart and his, and his desire to rebel against God and not follow uh, God's will. But anywhere where Christianity has had a significant influence on the culture, slavery has been abolished. Because as men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ, they begin to look at the injustices of the world in a different light, and they move to change those. It has always been the followers of Jesus who have been at the forefront of of social and moral injustice and changing those things. Fourth, and this one may be the hardest of all for us to accept or understand, but in the economy of God, our circumstances are not the top priority. Now listen to me, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about our circumstances. He most certainly does. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about injustice and inequity toward his children. He most certainly does. In verse 25, which we'll look at in a few moments, clearly says that God's keeping a record, there will be a balancing of the scales, and that no one is going to get away with anything. So I'm not saying that God doesn't care about our circumstances, but what I am saying is in the entire scheme of things, in the entire scheme of eternity, ladies and gentlemen, our circumstances are temporal. And God, listen to me, God is always going to place a priority on the eternal over the temporal. Always. I'm not saying he doesn't care. I'm not saying he doesn't work. I'm not saying he doesn't move. I'm just saying that priority-wise, God is always seeking your eternal best. And in the whole scheme of things, our circumstances are nothing more than a vapor. They're a mist. They're a nanosecond in the eternal scheme of God. Now, I know it doesn't feel that way. 
Okay? <laughs> I know. When we are in the midst of that circumstance, it, it is crushing. It is consuming to us. And we are wondering why, if God loves us, why in the world doesn't he do something about this circumstance? But it's always needs to be an understanding that God is focused first priority on our eternity. And that may mean, ladies and gentlemen, that God has to leave us in a temporal circumstance, as uncomfortable as it may be, God may have to leave us in that circumstance for the creation of something that is of eternal significance and that is of eternal good that is far beyond anything that you and I could see and quite honestly can't even imagine. But by faith, we believe that God is a good God. And so we can believe that God's purposes for our circumstances are good. Maybe you've read this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. That's what, he, that's, that's what God has predestined. He wants to conform us into the image of His Son. He wants us to be more like Jesus. Why? So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Not that that all things are good, right? Not that all things are good. Life stinks at times. Can I get a witness? Life is hard. Life is difficult. Circumstances are overwhelming. Not that... That all things are good, but that God works all things together for the good if we trust him and recognize that as a good God, he has his purposes and his plans. So, what then is the application of Colossians chapter 3, the end of the chapter, and that for, and what is the application for us living in America in the 21st century what, what do I do with this? What does this mean for me? The best application for us today would be applied in the employer-employee relationship. That's what we're really talking about here for us today. The employer-employee relationship. And there are, uh, this morning, there are two principles that I want to make sure that you remember today. I certainly hope that you remember. They they will help you in those times of circumstances in your job. More specifically, you know, in contextually, we're talking today about in the workplace with that, that wretched boss or that, that, that co-worker that just ticks you off or that, that job situation that you just hate or whatever it is. There are two principles that you need to remember from Colossians chapter 3 today. First principle is this. Make sure you understand who you really work for. Let me read uh, verse 22 and 23 to you again. Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external services, those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Now, uh, for the sake of... of, uh, perhaps a little bit clearer understanding for our purposes today. I want to uh, change a few of the words of verse uh, 22, not in any way changing the intended meaning of the text, but perhaps to bring a little clarity uh, as we read it. It looks like this. Employees, 
In all things, obey those who are your employers on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. By the way, that PC version is not the politically correct version. That's the Pastor Clay version. (laughs) Employees, in all things, obey your employers. Now, um, just like, and again, if you've been with us uh, in this series over the last few weeks, Uh, where Paul has really gotten down in our business and he's talked about responsibilities of wives and husbands and parents and children and and all that sort of stuff. Uh, In in the same way, we saw this come up several times in those passages of Scripture, uh, we see it here again. This phrase, in all things, refers to in all things that are within the will and the word of God. In other words, if your boss's will conflicts with God's will for you, you have to disobey your boss and go with God, knowing that there may be consequences for doing so. I've told some of you this before about a, a, a gentleman I used to know uh, who was uh, up in upper management in a bank, uh, banking corporation in Atlanta. And uh, he was approached by his uh, boss one day and asked to do something, and, and quite honestly, I can't remember specifically what it was, but asked to do something uh, with paperwork or, or bookkeeping, or asked to do something that was clearly wrong. It was morally, it was ethically, it was uh, legally wrong. And uh, being a follower of Jesus, he uh, understood who it was he really worked for, and so he said to his boss, I, I, I can't do that. He's fired. <laughs> it, would be, it would be a great story if I said, and God just supernaturally came down and, and, uh, and struck the boss with a heart attack, and that guy got his position and got twice the pay. And No, he got fired. He lost his job. He lost his source of income for his family. And they struggled for quite some time because he got blacklisted, knowing that they're making... Listen, can I say something to y'all? I was thinking about this this week, just dealing with this idea of, of choosing what God says versus what we may think or what, what people may tell us or whatever. When, when, when people sometimes seek my counsel about decisions that, that have to be made uh, in the world on a daily basis, whatever they might be, I want you to know that, I, that when I give counsel in those particular areas, I do so with a somber realization. I feel the weight of, of the counsel that I give to you. Because in some ways, like a, like a military leader that sends uh, his soldiers into battle, knowing that some of them are going to get wounded and even killed, he does it anyway because there's a bigger picture in play here. And when I give you counsel from what I believe the Word of God teaches, I'm fully realizing that in the circumstantial moments of your life, it may cost you if you follow through on what I'm telling you God's Word says. But I do it because I understand there's a bigger picture in play here. There's something bigger going on. Now, notice uh, that Paul says, Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. That fearing the Lord, that little phrase right there at the end, fearing the Lord, carries with it generally, usually the idea of awe or reverence or respect or honor. In other words, I'm going to do this 
out of respect for the Lord. I'm going to do this out of honor for the Lord. I'm going to do this out of reverence for God. That's why I'm going to do it. But can I tell you this? There's also in here a little bit of the idea of actually being afraid of the Lord. Because of the reality, ladies and gentlemen, that one day in every one of our lives, God will conduct the real final exit interview for you and me. And then in verse 23, he basically says the same thing he did in verse 22, but notice he kind of he flips it around when he says, whatever you do, do your work heartily. Notice, notice the, the emphasis on the heart again, uh, the motivation behind it. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. It's coming to the understanding who your boss really ultimately is. When I was uh, in the postal service uh, years ago, before I became a postmaster, I worked in an office where I was uh, a clerk carrier. I was called a clerk carrier, and I would sometimes have to uh, sort mail. Actually, that's what I did every day, was sort mail. Um, and in the office where I served, it started out in Okeechobee, Florida, uh, a couple of different times we would be in between postmasters. The postmaster of that office would retire or he'd, he'd move up and get a larger post office or something like that. And so whenever that would happen, and, and wherever it would be, whenever that happens, they would bring in a postmaster wannabe. They would bring in someone who's trying to move up, right? Just like many corporations, you're trying to move up uh, the corporate ladder or whatever the case would be. And so supervisors in larger offices would, would uh, come and serve as temporary postmasters. And so... Uh, the Postal Service brought in this guy uh, from West Palm Beach, from the big city of West Palm Beach, going to come up to Okeechobee and straighten all his country bumpkins out up there. And so uh, he comes in, and this guy, I don't even remember his name, but he, uh, he practiced what I call uh, leadership by intimidation. Do y'all know that method? Y'all ever, y'all ever had that method before? This is, uh, this no, Bill, come up here. Come up here a minute. Stand right here, if you will, and face the folks out there, and, uh, and I want you to pretend that you're sorting mail. Now, let me give you a crash course. In front of you is this case, what we call the case, and um, there's, there's all these little boxes, and all the boxes are numbered, and they have the names of routes on there, city, city route one, two, three, four, you know, on down, rural route one, two, three, four, and you have to read the mail, you see the mail, you get the mail, and then you see the address, and as quickly as you can, you go, oh, that's city route three. You put it in there, and you, this next piece, and this next piece, and and you start doing that. You, you got that? It's no wonder the Postal Service can't get going these days. So, all right. So, so, you're, so you're, sort, you're sorting mail. So this is what this guy would do. I'm standing, I'd either be sitting or standing uh, at my case. And this guy would literally now would come up, not, say, not without saying a word. He would come up and he would stand. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I, I might need a Tic Tac, so I didn't say anything. But... Okay, thanks, <laughs> thanks. Um, but I mean, that's, he literally would stand like, just put his face like three inches from my face. I'm sitting there just, just like Bill was just then and, and not say a word. That, that w- and I, I, I guess the idea was that somehow that was going to motivate me to sort mail faster. And can I tell you, let me tell you something. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, became my friend. I, I would just... 
I can't tell you how many thousands of times I have recited that verse, thanks to the United States Postal Service. Because over and over and over again, whether that guy was standing there or whatever it was that day, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. And I'd say it over. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord. For the Lord. And, and listen to me. It, were, it was those words that I could repeat over and over and over again that kept me moving towards the goal because there's a realization, I don't work for this guy and quite honestly, I have zero desire to work for this guy, impress this guy, do a good job for this guy, but I know who my real boss is. In everything you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, as if you're doing it for God, because it's not for men, not to impress men, not to like, not, no, not, nothing like that, but for the glory of God. Remember who it is you work for, ladies and gentlemen. And in the midst of those times when whatever it is, and listen, I don't, I don't whatever it is you do for a living, factory worker, manager, administration, medical field, computer technology, uh, garbage man, whatever it is, whoever it is that you work for, you got to remember who your ultimate boss is. And uh, you and I, here's something we need to remember. If, If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're part of the family of God, okay, then you and I have to understand we are in a family run business. And that every day when we show up to work, and I, man, I know it's hard. I, I love what I do now. It's awesome. But I didn't used to. But every day when you show up to work, when we show up to work, we really, we honestly ought to start our day saying something like this. Now, you can put it in your own words, but I really think it helps if we start every day with something like this. Uh, Father, I, I'm clocking in today. Thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given me to honor you with my service to this company to this person, to this whatever it is. I want to do the very best I can for you, Lord God. So help me to be mindful of, of, of your presence. Help me to work within your power. And help me to make your name famous. Because you see, in the end, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what you may do, our real job description is God glorifier, good news spreader, kingdom worker which is uh, the application. What I want to give you is what this, what this means for us, quite frankly, is we're on mission. That, that's what it is. We're on mission. Now, can I tell you, next week when we get into chapter 4, we're going to get a lot more into missions, quite honestly. But, but it's a realization, because I don't, I don't work for Duke or Progress Energy or GlaxoSmithKline or whatever company or people or person you may work for. They may write my paycheck, but I do my work as unto the Lord, not unto men. And that means we're on mission. We're seeking for ways to honor Him with our conduct, with our attitude. That's why, quite honestly, Christians ought to be the very best employees in the entire world. When I I worked for the post office and I went for my uh, interview, I, I interviewed for to try and Move up like them other guys. <laughs> I tried to move up, but I was much nicer than they were. And I tried to move up and become a postmaster. I went for an interview with uh, the regional head postmastery dude. And, uh, and when I went in there, I just, started, I just made my mind up. This is what I was going to do and, and whatever, whatever got. So I went in and I sat down and he said, why should, why should I hire you to be postmaster of Hurricane Mills, Tennessee? Thank you very much. Loretta Lynn's hometown. I know every Loretta Lynn song on the face of the earth because they played all day. 
But I went, went to the interview, and he said, why should I hire you as postmaster of Hurricane Mills, Tennessee? And the first, time, first thing I said to him, I said, I just want you to know something. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And that means that I have an obligation to work for him. And, and you may write my paycheck, but if you hire me, I'm going to work as hard as I can to his honor and glory. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to rip off the company. I'm not going to do anything like that. Not because of you, but because God is my Savior and I desire to honor him. I had no idea. I'd never met this guy before. I didn't know if he was going to, you know, okay, thank you very much. Security, you know, or I had no idea what the guy was going to do. But he called me a, a, you know, a week later or something and says, you ready to go to Hurricane Mills? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> We're on mission, ladies and gentlemen. We're on mission. Do you think of your job in those terms? No, my job stinks. <laughs> Is it possible that where you are, you may flip burgers at McDonald's, and I've done that, not at McDonald's, but at Burger Queen. Um, and that's right, I said queen, not king. It's a long story, never mind. You may flip burgers... You may work out of your home. You may be a telemarketer. You may be the CEO of a company. You may be the guy like I was at one time when I was going through school, sitting in the basement, sorting mail for some other company. It doesn't doesn't matter. We're on mission. We're seeking to honor and glorify God and be used for his kingdom purposes. And so we ask him, Lord, let uh, uh, let us be used by you. Use me with the gifts and talents and abilities you've given me today to display the love of Jesus in tangible ways. In whatever way I can at work, help me to be that person that's on mission. That's who your real boss is, ladies and gentlemen. You're actually a God glorifier. You're actually a kingdom worker. You're actually a good news spreader. Here's the second principle that you need to remember. Not only do you need to remember who it is you work for, but make sure you understand what you really work for. In Colossians chapter 3, picking it up in verse 24, it says, knowing that from the Lord... Watch this, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Chapter 4, verse 1 there uh, certainly points back to that idea of remembering who, who your real boss is. But it's also, along with the rest of those verses, it's also a reminder to us of, of what we started with back at the very beginning. We were talking about it. It's this idea of capturing this, the essence of what my life is. That it is not here in this moment. That it's not in this temporal life or circumstance, good or bad. But that it is for something for eternity. That it is something far beyond the the blip on the radar screen that, that our lives are. It's so much more than that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we're working for. It's not to earn a paycheck. Although, thank God for them, and, and, we, and we pay bills. And there's necessities for all of that stuff. But it's a realization that there is something so far beyond that. Verse 23, as I said a moment ago, you know, he kind of wraps up this idea that we're working for the Lord. But verse 24 saying, knowing from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. I don't even know what all that is. I just know that God says this is not the end. That it goes far beyond this. And what you do here, the real paycheck is coming there. Hey, and listen, to that. I, got good, I got really good news for y'all. No taxes are taken out. Nothing is ever withheld. Or will ever be withheld in that paycheck. Make sure you understand what it is you're really working for. 
most of us are probably aware of the passing of Steve Jobs this past week. Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple, who had an amazing, quite honestly, influence on our lives. Steve Jobs, this, this guy who derived a great deal of pleasure from his work, and he really did. This guy who uh, made billions and billions of dollars. This guy who uh, traveled all over the place and was one of the most famous persons on the face of the earth. He had notoriety, he had, he had fame, he had fortune, he, he had all of these things. And none of those things could keep him from his appointment with death. None of it. And I, I, I know we can't. I know we can't do this, but if we, could, if we could peer behind the veil that separates this temporal life from eternity, and by the way, you do realize how thin that veil is, don't you? How your heart beats and waits for permission from God to beat again, and we're only one beat away from stepping out and crossing across that veil. I know we can't, but if we could... could, could peel back that veil and look into eternity, I promise you, I promise you on the authority of God's word, we would hear Steve Jobs say something like this. I've wasted it. I wasted my whole life. And somebody would say, wasted it? What are you talking about? You're Steve Jobs. You you made billions of dollars. You lived in gigantic houses. You traveled all over the globe. You You were a world changer. And Steve Jobs will say, that's the problem. It was for this world. And I should have been concerned about eternity. I should have been concerned, should have been using my gifts and my talents, should have been using everything that I had for eternal purposes. And now it's too late. In the book of Luke, uh, we find this passage, Luke chapter 12. You must not set your heart on what you eat or drink, nor must you live in a state of anxiety. The whole heathen world is busy about getting food and drink and doing your job and all this stuff. Your father knows well enough that you need such things. No, set your heart on his kingdom. Set your heart on the eternal. And your food and drink will come as a matter of course. Look at this. Colossians chapter 3. Remember, we went over this a number of weeks ago. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. In other words, if you have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've been adopted into his family by faith. Because you recognize your sinfulness. His accomplishment of paying for that sin. And your desire to to be forgiven and ask Christ to come. If you have been raised up with Christ. Listen, would you, would you just join me in, in reading this part from here on Re- out loud? Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. You and I must always remember what it is we are really working for. The glory of God and the rewards that whatever God desires to do and whatever that is, that's fine. I'll leave that up to him. No matter what you and I may achieve in this life, no matter how many rungs you may climb on the corporate ladder, no matter how much notoriety, no no matter how many figures they put in your salary, no matter the perks or or the compensation package or any of that stuff, no matter what any of that works out to, a split second after we step out into eternity, none of it 
will matter. I don't usually quote from uh, what's known as the message. It's not a translation of the Bible, it's a paraphrase. But I liked the way the message summed up uh, this passage in Romans chapter 8. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times. Listen, are you in that? Do you understand what that is? It comes, it goes, work is good, work is bad. Uh, I love it, I hate it. I work for a company that, that takes care of its employees. I work for a company that takes advantage of its employees. I work for a great boss. I work for a bad boss. I work. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious time ahead. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. If you have a bad job, I'm sorry. I I, I genuinely mean that. I really am. Because I know, I know what it's like. It's not, it's not fun. But you don't work for XYZ company. Not in the whole scheme of things. You work in a family business. You work for your heavenly father. And you don't work just for the paycheck. Oh, thank God for them. Please keep them coming. <laughs> but you don't work for the paycheck. You work because there's something beyond all of this. And the anticipation of that deepens with each passing day. Remember who it is you really ultimately work for and remember what it is you ultimately work for. The Apostle Paul certainly didn't beat around the bush, did he? Whatever we do for a living, our real boss is the Lord. His expectation is that we will do our work for Him. As we heard Pastor Clay tell us, Paul also reminds us of the reward that the Lord is going to give to those who faithfully serve Him. That becomes our motivation even when our work situation is less than desirable. Even when we're mistreated or taken advantage of, we can continue to give our very best knowing that God will balance the scales in the end. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540 Exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.